heads are. Let's pray. Gaudete, so the third Sunday of, four Sundays in Advent, the third Sunday of Advent, six Sundays in Lent, the fourth Sunday of Lent, so third Sunday, fourth Sunday. The purple can be a bit heavy, and Lutherans, unlike, you know, maybe Catholics or other folks who, we don't spend a lot of time, we're, we're penitent, but we don't spend, we don't beat ourselves sort of into submission. You know, it's all, it's, the focus is always on Christ. The church has understood for a very long time that, you know, these days of purpleness, it gets cloudy outside, it gets dark, you know, it gets cold, you feel the press. It's just good pastoral care. You can't be pressed forever. You need some hopefulness. Last week, John the Baptizer, you brood of vipers, repent, fire, brimstone. Then the third week, Jesus comes and he softens everything up. Even the colors reflect that. So in the church, we tell time by colors. Purple is our normal ancient color. It is the rich color of kings. It's also a darker color. It's more mystical and interesting, but it's also can, it can press you, the, 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 you know, the, the cloudiness of the day. I mean, we'd love to see a blue sky again before Christmas. That would be a good thing. So the calendar, the lectionary sort of reflects that. So in the one-year calendar, the old one-year calendar, you get the names of the Sundays from the first word of the introit, which is a psalm, was a psalm. So, Gaudete, rejoice. So, even in the midst, rejoice. You know, your king comes to you humble and riding on a, uh, on a donkey, the foal, right? So, um, rejoice, lift up your heads. So, you know, there, this is a time, it's this double thing, which is a great reason to be Lutheran, this double thing of you understand your sinfulness, but your sinfulness is never the last word. You have some time with, with purple, but you know, it's going to go pink to white, you know, more than you know. The 25th is the shortest day of the year, right? It's the shortest day. And then John the Baptizer's feast day, uh, uh, you know, is the, you know, he must, he must increase, I must decrease. It's when, the, it's, when the, it's when the days start to get longer and there's more light. Even, the, even the, they, they arrange the calendar so even the sun, you know, is commanded by John the Baptizer. All of that's going on. So Gaudete, um, Prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, the Lord comes with might. Boom. So don't worry, he's coming, and it's going to be good. Isaiah 4, 40, verse 3. O Lord, accept our prayer and all our supplications. Hear our petitions and grant that we heed the call of John the baptizer to prepare the way for your son and receive him into our hearts that we may become your children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So Jesus the child comes to make us children. That's genius stuff. Uh, okay, just a couple of things to think about. One is, if you're at the early service, that's what we're aiming at. We have very high standards. We drive our musicians crazy. We listen to what you say. But when, when you have a service like the first service, these are all the things that went right in the first service. The music was crisp. The volume was right. The bells were brilliant. The selections were good. You sang very well. You responded very well. There wasn't any pauses. Things were moving back and forth. Even when we had so many people that we had to consecrate additional elements, you know, Pastor Nelson just moved everything right through that, and people kept going, you know, and bang on. We were out at, you know, 829, which is the goal. So you had this very nice thing where everything worked. Everybody was where they were supposed to be. Um, everybody who worked played hard. You did a great job. That's the way church is supposed to feel. That's what we're aiming at, you know. And what we want to try to do is get on these runs where we have, you know, eight or ten services like that in a row or eight or ten Sundays like that in a row and everything feels good. That's what we're aiming at. So if you were there at 8.30, that's the goal. I mean, that's what, and that shows that we can do it. It's important that we come prepared. It's important that you come prepared. It, it's important that there's this back and forth. 
and it's important that it's done with confidence. You know, that goes out on the radio live. That's what we want to go out on the radio live. When it sounds like that, everything is working, and the focus then isn't on you. It's always on Christ. So anyway, thanks to everybody who played hard this morning. That was good. Also through the weekend, um, I remember the early days of Christmas sharing. You know, the early days when Carol was, you know, you know, frazzled. Now she's just tired, uh, you know. <laughs> But in the early days, and it gets better every year, and I just I want to thank her and everybody who worked on it and all of you. And then also, you know, so it's snowing, and all these guys show up. Every window I look out, there's somebody on the end of a shovel. And I'm thinking to myself, their driveways are probably not shoveled yet. You know, so all these guys pile out, you know, starting with Steve Chester, but Marty and David and all the other guys, Jim, they all show up and they make everything right, and we all walk in like nothing happened, which is exactly how we want you to feel, because on another day it'll be your spot to make something happen, right? And it's really good when people do that, so that was a fantastic thing. I didn't mention Gifts for Grace, but you know that's going to be the next thing we do. I thought we'd just give you a pause for a week or so, but you know we'll gear up again. But it'll be fun to get the numbers and have some fun with that. So anyway, thank you very much for doing that. In the back, there was a little summary about Spain uh, that, that Dr. Just wrote up and sent out, and so I made you copies of that in case you don't get the magazine from. Uh, you know, it's just this is just sort of a heads up. I mean, we can kind of do whatever we want in Spain. There's still, it's so great because somebody else is doing the bureaucracy. That's fun. Um, so Martha's got things back there. They've even asked us if maybe we would take a Spanish vicar for the summer, and we've sort of said, uh, well, they copied, me on an, they copied me on an email that said, and St. John would love to take a Spanish vicar for the summer. And then Arthur said, I hope that's okay. I'm like, well, I guess it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay now. So um, I got to talk to John Carroll. I don't know. We'll figure that out somehow. Will you send that around, please? So it's just kind of fun whenever, I mean, the thing is, is it's fun when everybody does their part. It's fun when you find your place to go. It's fun when people are kind. I haven't heard a complaint in a month. It is fantastic. I mean, the way people care for each other, and you know, kids, and thank you. And you know, the first week of Dizay was like, uh, I was like, uh-oh. But then last week, you know, you had 30 kids, and it, you could have heard a pin drop in the middle of that service. That is a remarkable thing. There is nobody except the baby Jesus himself who can get 30 kids, you know, under the age of 10 to sit quietly on stone for 20 minutes. That was a remarkable, remarkable thing. Now, I tell you that, I hope it'll work out next week. Um, you should, if you haven't been to Tazay yet this year, it's really weird. It's a completely different crowd than last year. I don't know what the deal is. All the people who came last year didn't come this year, but a whole new raft of people have come. Uh, come back. Dinner, we've had, we've been really long food both weeks, even though we've had the same attendance as last year. We've had a lot of extra food. It's free. I mean, you walk in, have dinner. It's, there's not a better deal than this. Um, even Milton Friedman would testify to such a thing. So, uh, you know, there is the free lunch somewhere. All right. Young man. Just a historical question. Yeah. Uh, am I understanding correctly that there has been no significant Lutheran presence in Spain since it was in position until 2000? Yeah. Uh, they I think I told you that story, but they took me to the place where it was really interesting. I mean, I learned a lot about the Inquisition when I was there. They took me to a spot. Didn't I tell you this story? Oh, I thought I did. Sorry. I'm getting older. Uh, 
They took me to the, so one of the ways the Inquisition worked in Spain was, uh, the Inquisition was primarily, as they tell the story now, so I tell it to you the way they told it to me, not about, primarily about religion, but, not, but about money. Surprise, surprise, the church was all about cash. So um, basically, uh, one of the ways the Inquisition used use, a primary way, was they, they had sort of a, this is really true, they had kind of an NSA spying on people for years and years, and they built up, you know, and it was usually rich people, and um, the game was fixed a bit because they would build up this long list of charges over years. Now, as you know from when we talked about sin, the reason Jesus tells you to go right away to your brother or sister is because as time goes, memory fades, evidence disappears, and when somebody says, you did this to me six years ago or ten years ago, nobody can remember what happened. There isn't any paper trail anymore. Memories are cloudy, you know. So basically what happened is they brought these Lutherans and they said, you've done X, Y, and Z. Or they brought rich Catholics and said, you're a Lutheran because you've done X, Y, and Z. And I thought I told you this. The first penalty was you could admit to it, lose all your money and land, and go free. That was option number one. Uh, if you said no, they took all your stuff anyway. And on the way to being burned at the stake, there was one stop where they said, we'll give you another chance to admit to it. Um, if you admitted to it then, you'd already lost everything, they would sell you into slavery. So you could live, but you'd spend the rest of your life as a slave. And then option three was um, they'd burn you at the stake, and they might ask you one more time on the stake. If you admitted to it, they would say, a lot of time in purgatory, but probably not hell, but they still you know, lit the fire. So that's basically how Lutheranism was extinguished. And... Uh, but there are all, like Russia, you know, there's these little pockets of people, and there's always rebels somewhere, you know, the Basques, the Catalonians, there's always rebels somewhere. And so these people are sort of coming back, whether they can pull it off. But then it didn't look like we could pull Russia off either, but, you know, that's kind of gone too, so. Yeah, it was just surprising that it, it was so thoroughly squashed for so long. Burning people at the stake has a, a, pers a persuasive value that many other things don't have. Like synodical votes are nothing compared to burning people at the stake. I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, so that's the way it worked out. All right, anything else? So it's a very happy time. I know a lot of you are traveling. Um, gosh, St. John is the best place to be. I, I was kind of thinking about the music this morning, especially Lessons and Carols. It's always so spectacular, you know. Um, but, you know, if you're, ha if you're here and you have friends, the first service doesn't have the Eucharist, so there's not the pressure of people going or not going. And the music will be spectacular, I am sure. So, you know, begin to think about if there's friends. You know, it's kind of the last piece in the puzzle for St. John uh, before I drop dead, which is it's really important for you now to say to people, you should come to my church. And what's frankly happened is more and more people are doing that. Almost always when I'm introduced to somebody at the door, it's because somebody has said, I really love my church, you should come. Or somebody will say, Somebody told me I really love my church, or they, people get exposed to it. They come to Christmas sharing, their volunteers are not part of it, and they say, wow, this is really kind of a different kind of church. The primary word that's used to describe it is kind, which makes me very, very, very happy. I mean, when that's the primary word that's used to describe your church, you're on to something. The last piece in the puzzle is for you to say to people, you should come to my very kind church. Um, and then for you to be able to remain kind kind of nurture that. Um, you know, pain is a great teacher. It's still pain, but pain is a great teacher. Part of the history of success in this church going forward will be in part how well you can remember pain and hold that in front of you and not repeat it. 
I mean, it could be five years, it could be a couple of decades. It'll just really depend on how long your memory is. That you can, you can remember how painful it is when people aren't kind, and you build that culture going forward so kindness is just the done thing. This is just what we do, this is just who we are. And this weekend has been a genius example of that. I know people are tired, I mean, I'm tired, I know other people are tired. It was a long weekend, but it was fantastic. And everybody left with a good feel. I mean, even the feel in the service this morning and today, what happened, that's what we're aiming at, you know. <laughs> Everybody play along, boys and girls. That's what we're aiming at, okay. The last piece of that puzzle is to be, for you to be proud of your church, to be proud of the other people in your congregation in a positive way, and say, you should come to my church and feel comfortable that the rest of us won't let you down. If you take the risk to bring somebody to church, you need to be confident in everybody else that you know the elders are going to talk to them, the pastors are going to talk to them, the musicians are going to come forward and do a good job, the ushers are going to be kind, you know everything is going to work out and it is comes as promised and then is more. That's what we're trying to do. We're very very near the kingdom but for that you got to come with your A game every week. You really really do. You got to come every week and you got to bring that no matter how you feel you need to bring that because that's a witness to other people. And when you create that culture that's why churches get really really strong. Yes please. We love you. We're glad you're here. That's good. All right, everybody good? Next week, uh, so after the third Sunday of Advent comes the fourth Sunday of Advent, which is all of you know is Martha Palooza in the ancient her church, church calendar. Uh, in the ancient church calendar, that is Martha Palooza Sunday. Uh, so, you know, wear multicolors, apparently. I mean, I think, I think you know, any color is possible. Uh, so next week we won't have Bible study. We'll, we'll have some fun with Martha. It'll be great. All right, so stick around next week. All right, everybody good? All right, so here we go. You got an outline in front of you. You know, occasionally it's said I can't follow an outline, but every week I make... <laughs> You know, a brave attempt. I, I, I make a brave, I keep, I, yeah, you always have something in your hands. So, you know, actually in my own head, I mean, it's, I'm following it. I'm just, I'm just in kind of an alternative. You seen the Matrix? You seen the Matrix, right? You take the red pill, you take the blue pill. You take the blue pill, everything will go back. You take the red pill, I'll show you some stuff, okay? So get ready, strap in and take the red pill. Here we go, all right? Um, a little summary. So, you know, these things can be complex, but hopefully what you'll, what you'll carry forward is kind of a grid to think about things. So this is really very simple. Jesus gives you his Holy Spirit, and then surprise, surprise, the Holy Spirit gives you Jesus. He's so shy. He's always pointing at Jesus. You can't really get a grip on him. That's why he's like a dove. He flies away. That's why he's invisible. That's why he moves around. Hey, he picks you up in a tornado and drops you off somewhere else, and you can how'd that happen? I don't know. It's this easy thing. Jesus breathes on his apostles. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Jesus gives his Holy Spirit to the church. And then the Holy Spirit spends his time, you know, um, giving us Jesus. Great stuff. Even, you know, we disguise it in the Lutheran church, but you know, in the, in the history of the church, there's this great prayer called the Epiclesis, where actually the priest 
we have such a strong idea that the, that, the, that the Holy Spirit is in the words of Scripture that we just presume everybody knows that and we don't really pray this out loud. But in other denominations, Catholics, you know, um, Anglicans, they have a thing called the Epiclesis where they pray, come Holy Spirit, descend on these elements, make them the body and blood of Jesus Christ for us. It's kind of nice to have it made, said explicitly. You know, the Holy Spirit comes to bread and wine. It's the Holy Spirit who does the miracle, right? Now, we know that because we believe the Holy Spirit is in the Word. That's how we get there. But the Holy Spirit is always giving you Jesus. Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get everything you can handle, right? He gives you, he doesn't, he doesn't skimp on the gifts, okay? And among those are those described, and I am on point number one of the outline. <laughs> there shall come forth a fruit. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. This was last week's Old Testament reading, you recall. A branch from the root. So you have a stump, then you have a shoot, then you have a branch, then you have fruit. So this notion of growth over time, this prophecy, he'll come in the future. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. So there he is. The Holy Spirit will bring him gifts. The Spirit will give him, if you will, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear, and delight in the fear of the Lord. So not just the fear of the Lord, but actually that you'll be happy. And we talked a little bit about being happy with what the Lord gives you. Oh, turn the page. Whoa. Um, now, delighting in the fear of the Lord is sort of this happy humility. And, you know, I, I sort of ran through this last, how do you, how, what do you do if you want to be humble? You don't aim at humility. You think about the gifts. When you think about the gifts, you know that you're not self-sufficient. When you know you're not self-sufficient, then that brings humility, right? So, God loves us. He brings us back to life. We think about the fact that God loves me, and he brought me back to life. I'm thankful that God loves me, and he brought me back to life. And that then um, leaves me humble, because I'm... You know, like this morning, John the Baptizer, I mean, another way to preach that sermon is that John the Baptizer is very happy to be at point number two. The great temptation in prison when he's behind bars is to say that Jesus is an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about. That he's, that he's so, and this is, you know, one of the reasons Judas betrayed him. I mean, Judas essentially betrayed Jesus. I mean, there's a range of reasons, but among them was he thought that Jesus was failing. That he thought that Jesus was not doing what he was meant to do. And, and, and Judas kind of called his bluff, forcing his hand kind of one way or another, okay? That's to put yourself at point number one. Now, here's the thing. Every sin, you've heard me say this a gazillion times, every sin is an act of betrayal. Every sin starts with the notion that Jesus doesn't love me. The reason you sin is because you actually don't believe that Jesus doesn't love you. If you think Jesus loves you and he gives you everything, you're happy to follow along. This is the same for sins against your parents, against your colleagues at work, against your wife, against your, you know, you say, they don't really love me, so therefore I'll act this way. Right? And John the Baptizer rattling the bars, about to have his head chopped off. You know, what further need of witnesses? The great notion of faith is that he lets Jesus still be master, and he still remains servant. Okay? And that's, um, that's what I mean by staying at point number two, ordered, obedient, agreeing, disciplined, faithful, kind. Fill in the words any way you want. The fruits of the Spirit, we may get to those. 
you know, classically seven gifts of the Spirit, classically twelve fruits of the Spirit. You know, whether we'll get there by summertime, who knows, okay? But the fear of God, and now fear, you got to understand fear. Fear is not a good English word because we don't use it the right way. I mean, for us, it just means being afraid of zombies. But it means other things. Fear has this notion of reverence, of if the, if, if the queen walked in the room, whatever you'd feel, that's, that's reverence, that's awe, that's adoration. You know, or pick somebody else. Maybe it's Wayne Gretzky for you, I don't know. But pick somebody, you know. Pick somebody that you really, really admire. That's, that's the sense, and then times a hundred. Okay, that's what it means. So it's this delightful reverence, this happy humility. You're happy to be resurrected. You're happy to be a point number two. Very interesting human, uh, human beings who can be happy to be point number two are very interesting human beings. Right, Jesus is a point number one, and he's very happy to tell you how your life should work. We did this in New Members yesterday. The Ten Commandments is just Jesus telling you what will, what will please God and what will bless you. We don't think about the Ten Commandments that way, but that's all, all Jesus is telling you the Ten Commandments is how the world works. This is how the world works. You want to be happy? Run your life this way. You want to be fulfilled? Run your life this way. You want to be blessed? Run your life. I mean, you can, you know what? You can keep hitting your thumb with the hammer if you want. I mean, just whack away. You know, the eighth or ninth time, you'll probably say, I just maybe I should stop hitting my thumb with this hammer. Sometimes it does. Some of you, it takes 13 times. I don't know. <laughs> you know, don't slam your finger in the car door again. You know, just usually for most people, one time, your thumb in the car door, and then you're like electric locks from then on. Okay, good. So I want to distinguish now between delight, which is what we talked about. I'm happy to have the world this way. So that, that was the first thing, this delight you know, of being at point number two. And now just a little bit more on what actually that, it's translated fear two times, and in Hebrew it actually is the same word, but it has, as English words often do, multiple meanings. Another way to think about this is piety or godliness. For some people, piety or piousness has a ruined term. It's even ruined for me a little bit because there was the pietistic movement which kind of took Lutheranism in a bad direction in some ways, primarily because they were kind of anti-sacramental um, and kind of anti-liturgical. That's not so helpful. But if you could, you know, if you, if, you look at on the, if you look on the previous, if you could read the text this way, the last line, the spirit of knowledge and the godliness of the Lord or the piety of the Lord or what it means to be in the image of the Lord. So that's the, that's the gift that's being talked about here. Um, I just want to note, you know, as I've said to you many times, and which you happily seem to do, you know, stop thinking and start doing, you know. St stop thinking and start doing. I mean, sometimes thinking is overrated. Sometimes understanding is overrated. It's overrated primarily when it's a block for actually doing some good. Talk, 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 and nobody does anything. <clears throat> Tons of people talk, 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 talk all day long. You don't believe me, get cable. You know the kind of pressure it is to fill up 300 channels 24 hours a day? About 95% of the stuff that's on cable TV is really, really stupid, but hey, we got a contract and we got to say something, so even stupid stuff qualifies. Okay, here's the thing. Stop talking, start doing. And in piety, it's both those things. It's both an understanding, but it's also an action. 
people who just talk, talk, talk all the time, they're not very helpful. In, in Scripture, talking and action are always hold together. That's why prophecy actually does something. That's why even you say, I forgive you all your sins, it actually happens. They're just, they're intertwined. When the Lord wants to condemn Israel, what he says is, you know, your lips are yabbering on, but your heart's a long way away from me, right? Okay? Those things, how you're talking and how you're acting, those things have to be held together, and that's what this, this piety is all about. The last point under number three. I've said this to you before, but it's terribly important to say it to you over and over again. When you sin, you give evil incarnation. This is the season of incarnation, okay? Where the divine love of God is going to express itself in the actions of human flesh born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, there's always an evil twin. The other side of that is when you do evil, in your flesh, evil is expressed. So in one sense, you know, Jesus comes and he brings divine love and he expresses it in flesh and blood, in action, for the life of the world. When you sin, you're the opposite of that. You let evil pick something, selfishness, lying. You let those things express themselves through your flesh, right? So in the way that at Christmas time, good is incarnate, divine love is incarnate, 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 like in meat, in flesh, right? So good is expressed through Jesus. When you sin, evil is expressed through you. I mean, evil needs your help to flourish. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. If you just don't play along with evil, the evil quotient of the world goes way, 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 way down, right? If you choose to be generous like you were yesterday, if you choose to serve others, if you choose to tell the truth even when the truth is painful, if you choose to be long-suffering and hold your tongue, you know, if you choose you know, generosity, if you choose, if you choose kindness and mercy, you know, it's not only that those things rise in the world, it's that you don't give evil the opportunity to work. This is why you know, all this stuff gets together. This is why last year when I talked about... Um, avoiding temptation or when I preached about the, the Jesus temptation where I talked about how you know, the Satan, oddly enough, gives Jesus something for his eye, something for his mouth, and something for his hand in the temptations. Look around. See all the kingdoms of the world. Say some Bible verses. Hold your hand up and get crucified. Think about that. And Jesus says, oh yeah, I think I'll do all those things. Right? Because his eyes are used positively, because his mouth is used positively, because his hand is used positively, he speaks the words of God. He sees the world for what it is. He holds his hand up and goes to the cross. Everything that he is is actionable in a positive way. And it can't be used in a negative way. It's exactly the same thing for you. Which is why it's so important to think about this stuff. Okay? Because if your body, heart, mind, spirit, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, everything you've got, if everything you've got is engaged in good, Evil doesn't have a chance to use you. Okay, so it's in, that's what that's why piety matters. That's what this that's what this um, gift of the spirit is. It's the ability to express good through your flesh, not just yak about it, but actually to do some good. All right, how you doing?
I just want to observe that I'm turning the page, and I am both on schedule and on task, okay? I just want to, I just want to get that out there, in case you're doing that naughty and nice thing for Christmas, okay? So, for those keeping score at home, that's exactly, this is never a good thing, because as you know, there's always an interception or a fumble, and the review doesn't help you. Start at the start, um, Ephesians 2. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up, but I grabbed a little bit from Ephesians 2 for you. Um, so look at how this works. This is just, and you know, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no secret here for all of you. Piety's ground, the baseline, the buttress, you know, the solid stuff, the foundation of piety is your resurrection. If you can hold to the fact that Jesus has resurrected you through your baptism, that he's made you a different person, that it is actually true that I was lost and now I'm found, that I was dead and now I'm alive, right? That I was outside and now I'm inside that I was evil and now I'm good in the sense of being forgiven. I mean, look at this. Ephesians 2.1, And you he made alive while you were dead in trespasses and sins. The only story in Scripture, resurrection. Verse 4, God, out of the great love with which he loved us, see how love is an action word? It's not just talking. His love loves us. God, with the great love that he loves us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive. So love is what resurrects people. You can try this at home. You're going to have Christmas. You're going to have families, which means you're going to have stress. It's always interesting because, you, know, um, you know, Nelson and I are used to this, but the Vic, you know, um, we sort of told him the swirl is about to begin. All we need to do is put you all with your extended families around a Christmas tree, and somebody's going to get a meat hook in the eye. <laughs> I've told you my favorite Christmas story, you know, my, it's a Thanksgiving story actually from my friend who's an eye surgeon in Chicago. He's like, yeah, I was on call one Thanksgiving, he comes in and one brother had gotten an argument with another brother and like put a meat hook in his eye. Yeah, I know. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. You know, it just happens when families get together, all right? Even good churchy families, you know. So it all starts with love, you know. The question will be whether you can actionably love the people you're with at dinner table. C.S. Lewis, I go to the Eucharist because it helps me love the people I don't really like. Think about it, okay? Merry Christmas. Um, for by grace, you know, so you weren't very lovable, but you're loved. You've been saved, you know, forgiven. There's no rub with God. Grace forgives. When you're forgiven, you got no argument with the baby Jesus. Hey, I'd like you over, over to play pinball. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Faith just says, thanks for doing that to me. You didn't do it. It's not your own doing. And there it is. It's the gift of God, the seven gifts of the Spirit, right? And then, and this is the part that Luther never, never, Lutherans never quote, and it makes me cranky, okay? Every Lutheran knows verse 8 by heart. By grace, that's a gift from God. I'm going to get all that. Well, just read on to verse 10, my friends. Read on to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Action, action, action created action, 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 in Christ Jesus, baptismal reference, in Christ Jesus, code word, in. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, that's baptismal talk. So look at all that. He created us, he baptized us, he worked us. Why? For good works. Stop talking, start doing. Change the world which God prepared beforehand, that's what he always wanted from you. He always wanted you to live in good. Read the Eden story. 
I mean, the Eden story is about everybody doing good. Hey, you can touch that, don't touch that, take care of that, leave that alone. You can stay here, don't go over there, and I'll meet you back tomorrow for a walk in the cool of the day. It's all about doing good. Which God prepared beforehand that we should, look, action, walk in them. How do you talk about the Christian life? Journey, walk, pilgrimage. We're going somewhere, we're doing something. So piety means the second gift. Piety, or godliness, if you will, whatever you like, means that you're alive to God, you're open to his gifts, open hands, and you happily live in them. Okay? Pause. He's still okay? Now, your Christmas advice. It's not about you. Because if God has already done it, listen, the tribes are at the gates. <laughs> That's how they must have felt when Attila and the Huns came over the hill, just like that. Yeah. So um, remember, it's not just you. Why? Because as soon as God does it to you, you're in a relationship. And by the way, there's three of them. Four's a family. So you're never in it alone. The whole notion that your, your life is private, not in the church. I mean, we're family. And let's face it, families know stuff about each other. All right? Good families cannot pass it on. Okay, never mind. So, um, through your baptism, it's not just any life, it's the family life. Look at this. This is the great stuff. You've received the spirit of sonship. Take it as a compliment, not as a gender disqualification. It's the nicest thing you could say to somebody was, you're my son, because sons inherited everything, right? You've received the spirit of sonship. We cry, Abba, Father, and that's the spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit. So look, your spirit is aligned with his spirit. Same spirit, same, same. Matchy, matchy. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in you, driving you toward the things of Jesus. And you know that another way that we talk about that is to be adopted into the family. It's a great metaphor. Adoption is this most mysterious, mystical thing that people can do it, and people can live in it. You can look that up later because I want to just run you through here, okay? Six. To be adopted is to really, really be a child, which means you really, really, really have God as your father. So I tried to think of a way to talk about this with you, but think about it this way. Adoption is a disposition or an orientation. It's another way to talk about relationship. See, and now you, can, now you wrap the first one and the second one together. It's not just to have a father, but to love your father. That was delight from last week, the happiness of it. So if you can imagine this relationship, and Luther is genius on this in the, in the, in the, in the, um, all across the catechism, the first article of the creed, but also the Our Father, the explanation. Our, he's a gentle father that treats us as his tender children. So to have this gift, the gift is to be put in a relationship or being oriented always toward God as your loving, tender father. He's your father. He'd do anything for you. Your father would, I mean, I know some of you had bad fathers. That's why you come to church, so you can have a good father. And you who had good fathers, you know, times a hundred when you have a heavenly father, times a thousand, times a million. So it is this orientation. The gift is is not just that the Spirit turns you around to repentance, but he pulls your chin up and says, 
hey, that's your father. It's the prodigal son story. You know, the old man who lifts up his robes, men don't run in the ancient world. It shames them when they run because they lose dignity. For you, he'll lift his robes and run toward you, put his arms around you and say, you're my child, get some shoes, get some clothes, get a ring for his finger, kill the fatted calf. My son who was, and you know this by heart, once was lost and now is found. My son who is dead has now been made alive. It's exactly the story of Isaiah. It's exactly the, those two gifts. That you not only have this orientation of God as your father, but that you also are swept up in his love and it makes you happy. You're happy to be a son. You're happy to be a daughter of God. You're happy to be in the inner circle. You're happy to share the sufferings of the cross. You're happy to live an eternal life. You're happy, 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 you Duck Dynasty people. You're happy to, uh, that's right, I know what you're watching. That's right. So here's the thing. I mean, you're, you're glad to be oriented exactly as you are. And so I give you then um, two words to think about, adoration and devotion. Really, godliness is adoration. I mean, if you adore the fact that you've been loved in this way. I mean, I, I hope that you've had just once in your life somebody you adored. A father, a mother, a friend, a mentor. If you've had one person you've adored in your entire life, if there's been one person where you just say, that's the person I want to be, that person's been so kind to me, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have lived my life without this person. If you had one person, just one, if you've had one like that, you just have scratched the surface of what it means to adore God as your father. And if you do that, you have a particular way that you will live your life. It will always be in thanksgiving. It will always be in gratitude. It will always be in generosity, always in kindness. All the, you will imitate, you know, the father you adore. See, it's actionable. Love is action. It's a verb. It's not just talking. It's actually doing, right? So, um, piety or godliness means to embrace whatever God is saying, doing, giving, asking, urging, even if it means giving up some of the things, some of the sins that we hold dear, okay? And then the last bit, um, try to remember that always means being in the family. The prodigal son was welcomed back into the family. You were called, resurrected into a church. If, you, if you're alive, you were a child. You were put into a human family. So, I mean, the aim is to live in piety, in godliness, and it even means loving your cranky older brother. You remember the end of the, the, end of the prodigal son story where the cranky older brother won't play. And then the father says, all that I have is yours, including your cranky older brother with the meat hook. Who'll be home for Christmas? Good luck. Let's pray. All right? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.